You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season four, episode seven. Ben Stamper is a filmmaker and artist based in the Northeastern United States. His work spans narrative, documentary, and contemplative genres with a particular interest in patterns of nature and human movement. Ben has worked with groundbreaking artists and institutions, including Meredith Monk, the Paul Taylor American Modern Dance Company, New Chamber Ballet, and Matthew Rushing of Alvin Ailey American Dance Company. Ben's recent projects include Grisha, which is a sign language film based on a short story by Leo Tolstoy, and Carbon, which is a three-gallery video installation at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in collaboration with choreographer Andrea Miller and Gallum Dance. In this episode, I talk with Ben about his intuitive approach to filmmaking, the role perception plays in our understanding of the world, and the form of art he terms as visual haiku. You may recall from season three of the podcast we featured author and illustrator Vesper Stamper about her book, What the Night Sings. Both Ben and Vesper have been longtime friends of mine and collaborators with me in the Breath in the Clay creative arts events and other projects. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to Ben's work and for the link to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. This is my conversation with filmmaker Ben Stamper on film as visual haiku. Well, Ben, I'm really excited to have you on the show today, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and uh, love what you do, of course. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're currently working in? Yeah, sure. Right now I am primarily working in the medium of film. And uh, that's a discipline that has developed for me over several years of working in various disciplines and, and sort of landing in this, this zone uh, for about eight or nine years. Uh, film has been my focus. But I started out as a painter and also as a musician. And film has always been a good meeting point between my love of image and my love of sound. What are some of the genres of film that you've worked in? Pretty much every genre that I can think of. Um, I started out doing a lot of music videos and uh, just because of the connection to music and my love for putting together image with with music and rhythm and those two things feel so complementary that music video was a was a good entry point for me in working with other people and collaborating uh, it was a really really fulfilling genre but quickly I branched out into documentary work and documentary work has all along been the bedrock of what I do and provided a 
a steady stream, not only of income, but of collaborations from all over the world and, and all different people. So it's really been a, a great foundation for, for my work. But uh, I think that the work that I feel most connected to is the, the work that sits more in the contemplative film genre. I don't know if I would even call it a genre, but it's using film as a way to provide meditative experience for not only myself, but for the, for the viewer. And uh, I sometimes call this mode of filmmaking haiku, uh, video haiku. Sometimes I call it trance film, sometimes contemplative film, just only because I don't quite know how to pin it down. Um, but a type of filmmaking that feels the most natural to me if I was just given free reign and told to do whatever I want. That's definitely the mode that I would fall into the most naturally. That's really fascinating because I've always, as a writer and as a poet, I've always connected poetry and image and metaphor, but I've never heard anyone else use the phrase uh, a visual haiku. I love that term. What does that entail? And maybe I can get one of your films that I can put on makersandmystics.com for people to actually see what we're talking about. But if you had to, to put that visual haiku into words, what would that entail? Yeah, it's a great, a great challenge to try and put it into words without the visual. But I tend to describe them as visual haikus because of the, the attempt that I'm making to try and to condense a really large set of ideas or one really large idea into the smallest, most basic parts and to do it in a way that seems like a phrase or, or one, just uh, one utterance. But also a lot of these haikus that I create are, have a deep connection to nature and are, are nature-based in their imagery or in the source that I'm drawing from. And so naturally haiku is, is a poetry form that draws from nature and in particular really speaks of universal truths in very specific terms, in very particular terms. And that's what I'm trying to do in these haikus is, is to, um, yeah, talk about the cosmic, talk about something that is much larger than ourselves, but often speaking about them in ways that are mundane or details that we often pass by, um, just fleeting moments. I want to ask you more about finding the cosmic and finding the larger themes of life inside of even what you said, mundane things, you know? And I remember years ago when I came up to visit you in Vesper, you, you guys picked me up from the airport. And I remember driving through New York City and we began to have a conversation about this book called The Poetics of Space. Yeah. If I don't know if you remember that conversation, but it's by a French philosopher, Gaston Bachelard. Mm -hmm. And that book has become one of my all-time favorite books that I come back to over and over. And uh, just for the listeners that may not be familiar with it, he talks about the metaphysical or the poetic qualities of space, of a house, of an attic, of a den or a basement. And there's a quote in here where he even talks about how housework 
can be made into a creative activity. You know, when he says, when we just apply a glimmer of consciousness to a mechanical gesture, whether it's cleaning furniture or some domestic duty, it becomes this poetic metaphor or this this place where we can encounter the larger themes of life. And you said something very similar to that just now when we were talking about finding the cosmic inside of the mundane. How does that flesh out in your work as a filmmaker? Yeah, I'm so glad, Stephen, that you brought that book up. Um, and by the way, I think you might have my copy. Uh, so I want it back. Oh, you think so? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm missing my copy right now. But it's possible that I lent it to somebody else. But just check the sleeve and uh, make sure that it's not my copy. Um, <laughs> I seem to lend out my favorite books and films to, to friends and, and colleagues, and they're far and wide. So, um, so uh, The Poetics with Space is certainly one of the foundational uh, works in my mind that has informed everything that I do in terms of an approach to art, an approach to filmmaking, an approach to daily life. And I think that finding that poetry in the ordinary is not only so crucial for an artist to understand, but it's crucial as human beings. And it's crucial to a contentment in daily life of all of the difficulties and challenges that we face, that we have to find some way of poeticizing our existence. Otherwise, we'll drive ourselves insane or we'll resort to treating one another poorly or we'll resort to selfish ambition or greed. And poetry, I think for me, it's an approach that I utilize because it allows me to be human while I create. And so in terms of specific application, I don't, I'm not sure how to speak about how it informs my work, but in terms of process, if I don't uh, embrace and grapple with the poetic of the everyday, I am not a good person to live with if I'm in, in, <laughs> in, in, engaged in a creative act. Um, yeah. So I don't know yeah. if that, that makes sense or is yeah. clear, but it's, it's just the idea that what we're doing when we create a film or a song or jot something down that becomes poetry, this is something that requires a great deal of our being. And if we're borrowing that for our work, then there, there has to be some way that we remain loving and caring and kind. And, and so, yeah, I think that the Poetics of Space does a really good job of outlining how to be an ordinary person in the midst of create, trying to create something larger than our, ourselves. Uh, that's really good. And I think, like you said, poeticizing our daily existence is an important discipline that anyone engaged in creative work can really benefit from. I know in my own experience that finding wonder in the mundane has been a theme in my teaching and in my writings for years. And I think it really goes back to our perception and how we train ourselves to view life. And for you as a filmmaker, I would imagine that perception plays a vital role in your work. Yeah, it, it started for me, this idea of perception started in high, my high school art class, which was a very nondescript, run-of-the-mill art class. My teacher was incredible. 
But as students, we were fairly apathetic when it came to actually imbibing what material was being given. But there was one, one thing that my art teacher pointed out one day that really uh, was a thunderclap. And he said, you know, when you, look at a st- when you look at a street and you try to identify the color, most of the time, you know, if it's an asphalt street, you immediately identify it as black. And so our homework was to go and look at an asphalt street and come back and tell him what color it was. And so just the act of someone questioning our assumption of what we're looking at visually and how we immediately identify it was huge for me. So of course I went and I looked at a street that evening and of course it's not black it's any color but black so Mm. that was just a very very simple entry point for me into questioning my assumption and uh, of you know what it what it was i was perceiving and so yeah perception for me is such a huge part of what i do is is curating perception for others and and so yeah i'm always asking the question when i when I look through the camera, or when I'm when I'm conceiving of an idea, you know, what am I truly looking at? What is the form and the shape and the composition and the color and the texture that I'm encountering beyond its identifiable parts? And uh, that question has to be the most pressing question. Otherwise, I'm just describing, and I'm not inviting a full immersion into an image or into it into an idea. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, perception in that way is is everything and, and really guiding and, and curating that for other people. Mm-hmm. But for my, you know, it's, it's an impressionistic approach. It's, it's the idea that you don't take anything for granted, that you're, you're trying to encounter life with fresh eyes every, every single time. So that the shadow that is created beside any object can become its own form can can be as solid and solid seeming and uh, tangible as the form itself that's creating the shadows there's a story in the new testament of jesus healing a blind man and when jesus lays his hands on the blind man and takes off his hands, he asks the blind man, what do you see? And the blind man says, I see trees as men walking. And so I believe at that point, his sight was fully restored. Often we hear this passage as a double cure, where Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes and the man is half cured. And then Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes again, and then his sight is fully restored. But I actually believe that his sight was fully restored that first time when Jesus laid his hands on his eyes for the first time, and he said, I see trees as men walking. But his perception wasn't restored. His perception, he saw what he saw, but he didn't know what he was looking at. But when Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes a second time, it was about perception. And it was about aligning knowledge with perception. And so I feel like that's 
so much of our responsibility as artists is, is along that line, is riding that line between what we're looking at mm -hmm. and what something truly looks like and then extrapolating on from there of what is the truth behind that, what truth can we draw from that. Your approach to filmmaking carries an inherent spiritual or existential quality to it. And so I'm curious if you feel that your filmmaking and perhaps art in general plays an important role in our understanding of life and the deeper truths of what it means to be human. Yeah, I think that filmmaking in any creative endeavor is essential for me to understand my own humanity and, and this world and my place in it. And I think that is what art is for. We often equate art to creative expression. I actually don't think it has much to do with expression. Uh, I don't think it's... It's, it's about expressing yourself. I don't think it's ever been about that when it's handled responsibly. I think it's about understanding ourselves and understanding this universe. I can express something so much more succinctly just by talking about it or jotting it down. Why would I have to go and make a film about it to express myself? That's such a waste of time. So I think it's much more about grappling and, and asking questions that can only be answered in visual means or auditory means or whatever medium I happen to be working in. And that for me is where art becomes fun and it becomes really like nothing else is when we can all gather around and ask the same questions. And it's a friend of mine likens it to building a campfire and, and it's a campfire moment and, and art has the power to do that. I am very reluctant to talk about art in a prophetic way uh, or art as some hyper-spiritual pursuit. I'm not really one to talk about an artist as a prophet because I have a lot of hang-ups about that kind of idea because I don't think that an artist is, should be elevated above any other discipline. Art should, is, you know, it should be a gathering force. It should be a communal force and it should be something that gather, equalizes, not dichotomizes. And so, yeah, that's sort of a long way around to answering that question of art being a tool, a way, a pursuit to help us understand ourselves and, and to help us grapple with what it means to be human. It's absolutely absolutely possible and, and essential for me but it's not it's not for me it's not because i think art is uh, somehow superior to plumbing or garbage collecting or or banking or you know i don't it's just the discipline i'm working in but tomorrow i could be mowing lawns and that's <laughs> fine you know and, and I need to be okay with that. I need, I need to really make sure that my identity is not wrapped up in being an artist. I, I don't 
I don't want that weight around my neck because it becomes it becomes a, a burden that we're, I don't think we're meant to carry. Mm-hmm. But I I would love the opportunity to use art to gather and to ask questions of each other and that I love that opportunity as long as possible but it's not something I can I feel I can lay, lay claim to honestly man I haven't heard a lot of people that have held that view I've heard the opposite view quite a lot yeah. that the artist is equated to the prophet and yeah. I love you just turning that idea on its head that made a lot of sense to me I was having dinner with a friend of mine recently and she was bemoaning the fact that she can't see things the way her artist friends see things and she so wishes that she at an early age would have developed an artistic mind and that her life maybe would go in a different direction and she could find herself as an artist. And as she said this, it just struck me so clearly that the thing that she was envying about her friends who were artists was the very thing that she already had. She just didn't know she had. And she already was recognizing that there's a different way that you can see and perceive the world around you. And she was always, she's always been very responsive to art that wasn't so straightforward and that took some investment of the viewer and some time. Uh, And she, she was very readily would engage in art that would demand something of the viewer. And so I looked at her and I I just said, you already are an artist and and you think you're just a practitioner, but you have it in you. You just haven't chosen a medium yet. You haven't chosen a field yet, but uh, that's just a practical consideration. All you need to do is, is pick a medium and develop a craft and master that craft and you'll be on your way. And so I think that that is where that wavery line exists between an artist and a practitioner. It's in that ability to see that there is a third way and to have the courage to go down that road. There's a phrase that is attributed to the French painter Edgar Degas, and it says that art is not what you see, but what you make others see. What do you think about that phrase? I think it's a great, it's, I think it sums up in a few words what I often try to say with many, many words. <laughs> so I, I, I would, I would <laughs> it's, it's a lot more succinct than I usually am, <laughs> which is right, <laughs> which is why Degas was, uh, was a master. Um, but yeah, I would just, I, I think it's essentially goes back to that idea of art not primarily being a means of self-expression, um, but, a, but of collective comprehension. Because why do we go to museums? Why do we pay so much money to, to go see a movie in a theater when we can just watch it on Netflix? You know, It's to gain new understanding and to gain new insight. Because when you encounter a work of art, you will never see the world the same. You will never see things the same, and you will forever be marked. And we need that desperately. Yes. And, yes, and it it is it is probably the most thrilling aspect to encountering a work of art. You go to a museum and you overhear these conversations, like people pointing out the a certain passage in a painting and, and picking it apart like an autopsy, and it's like it has nothing to do with 
the power that art can have, which is if it can just change the way you see something or flip a switch in your brain to allow you to see something new and you will be forever changed. And that's beautiful. Amazing, man. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, and I look forward to keeping up with your work here in the future. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and check the show notes of this episode for links to Ben Stamper's work, as well as links to the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. Music for this episode was provided by Ben Stamper. We'll see you next week.